And as we've done before, as we begin our prayers, if you have a need or you are carrying a prayer burden for someone you love, we invite you to stand so we can just bring those people and bring you to God in our prayers as we pray. So let us pray. Lord, it's good to be here. Here in this place where, where in the past so many times we've experienced you and met with you. Thank you for, for just being here for us. That when we, we gather together here, we're, we're pretty confident that something will happen as you speak to us, as we worship together, as we listen together. For you are here. And so, Lord, touch, touch our lives, those who are standing and, the, and, and those of us who are sitting. Touch our lives in a very profound way, Lord. May we know that you know what we're standing for, what we're praying for, even before we move a muscle. Because you are God. And so, Lord, would you touch us where we need you most today? And maybe just in the silence, just, just whisper your prayers to God. We pray too for those whose burdens we carry, we feel. Those we pray for, friends, loved ones, family members. Lord, we ask you to touch them. And we think of Rolf and Clinton, Joy and Billy and Phyllis and Tia and Bops and many others. Pray that they may know that that we're praying this morning because something happens in their lives, even now, that they can sense your presence, know your touch. You're making a difference in their situation and their lives. For course, coming to an end tonight, for an amazing Easter, for those who have been restored and healed, some through operations and, and some almost miraculously by your touch, Thank you, Lord, for our church finances that are, are showing that, that you have that in your hand as well. And so we praise you and thank you for that. And, and as we celebrate and, and give thanks and praise you, Lord, we recognize too that there are families in our community who are struggling with sorrow and loss. We pray for the Monji family, the Langa family, for the Khos family, for the Gold family. May they know you, the comforter of God. May they know that you are the one who will strengthen them through the season of mourning. And then, Lord, we pray for our church here at MMC. Lord, may we continue and continue to do the things that you call us to do, and may we be mindful, may we be sensitive to the move of your Spirit to do some things differently, to do some new things, and to stop doing some old things, if that's what you want. May you be glorified here. We pray for our city and our nation, and pray, Lord, that wherever those who claim to be followers of Jesus are working, whether it's in the public or the private sector, we pray, Lord, that you would use them to speak truth, to live truth, 
to stand for truth, but you will protect them. And we simply, Lord, hand those who are doing that which is wrong and evil to you. You deal with it. For you are good and you are God and you are just. And so we ask you to act. As the psalmist cried out to you in his distress and struggle, Lord, we cry out for our country. We cry out for ourselves and ask you to act. Not to do what we want, but to do what you want and need to do. And so bless us and be with us as we commit ourselves to living for you every day and as we hear from your word this morning. We ask these prayers and the prayers that we've cried out in our heart. We ask them all in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. And together God's people said, Amen. So we're in the season where we are looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Um, and, and using the lectionary, which is the set readings for each, each day of the week of the, of the year, but also each Sunday, as we follow the lectionary readings, one of the things that I've discovered is that this year, the lectionary, in looking at the resurrection appearance of Jesus, doesn't seem to follow it chronologically. So last week, we looked at something that happened a week and two weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the meeting of the disciples with Jesus behind locked doors, and a week later, in the same setting, uh, with Thomas. Tonight, we kind of move backwards in time. We move to the evening of Jesus' resurrection. But we've been looking at, in a sense, at doubt and the reality that more often than not, our doubts are symptomatic of what we actually fundamentally believe about God, not even about Jesus. And I've been trying to remind us that, that if God is good, then he has to be good all the time or else he ceases to be God. And so his goodness, his goodness is present with us, even in the midst of our difficulties, our times of doubt, doubts in ourselves and, and doubts in Jesus. And, and if we can be, be led to believe, if we can be reminded, if we can internalize the fact that God is good all the time, then even when we're in a season of difficulty or darkness, being in Jesus' presence, hearing his word to us, will, like Thomas, help us to come to the place again where we can believe. And last week we were reminded that, that although Thomas said, unless I can touch, unless I can put my hand in, when he was in Jesus' presence, he didn't touch, and he didn't put his hand in, but he still believed, for, because being in Jesus' presence helps us. Being where Jesus is helps us. So let, me, let me kind of, in a sense, begin this morning by asking, what is the biggest disappointment in your whole life? Uh, and please don't share it. This is a kind of personal question. The, the biggest disappointment you've ever had in your whole life, uh, a time or a season when you had high hopes, great expectations, and, and things just did not end up the way that you'd hoped. That prayer just didn't seem to be answered. That child just didn't seem to get going with their lives. That parent just did not want to change. 
maybe something like that, maybe something completely different. The, the biggest disappointment in your life. My guess is is that if I think back on my own lives, in my own life, my own lives, no, I don't have many, um, my own life, that, that, that probably disappointment comes in the midst of some good stuff too, that often life is a mixture of good and bad all together at the same time. It's, it's like Charles Dickens put it like this in the beginning of the book, The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Maybe that kind of echoes a bit of your life. The best, the worst, wisdom and foolishness, belief and incredulity, light and darkness, hope and despair. Maybe, maybe those things all mixed together makes up our lives. And then, and then we, we find ourselves this place where we're just disappointed and, and just want to give up. Sometimes we, 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 when we're in those situations, we, we, we feel like we're coping. We're okay. So it's one of the things about our, our modern English language. How are you? I'm okay. But okay can mean anything. <laughs> it can mean I'm really terrible, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm okay. The best and the worst. And, and it's okay, I guess, when you have maybe, you know, just two of them, you know, the worst and best together. It's like, it's like you're, you're trying to hold these two emotions, these two balls in the air. Um, our family experienced a little of this when my aunt died fairly recently. Um, she was in her 80s and had gone to be with Jesus. But there was a sadness. And in the same week that she died, her granddaughter announced to her dad that she was going to have a baby. These two, this loss and promise of a future together. And, and so we can, sometimes we can cope with just two, you know, opposing things. But then something happens at work or you go into a time of sadness or depression or you begin to despair that things will never be normal again or you're struggling with one or something else and, and, and then just it's more and more and more and more we know that often the death of a loved one will do this so we try to cope we maybe we maybe we crawl up in bed and just don't want to get up or we fill our lives with busyness the kids work sport hobbies physical stuff like gardening we do that to try and cope or we we expect other people to help us feel better so we kind of spend time with people and, and never allow ourselves to be alone and, and, and maybe we wallow in, in our self-pity a little with them or maybe we eat compulsively or we use alcohol or other drugs even prescribed ones to make us feel better or just numb or we self-harm we cut ourselves or eat and then purge or just don't eat at all or we pretend that nothing's wrong. And we carry on just like we were. All of them. Uh, really, really deep symptoms or symptoms of something that's really deep. A struggle that's really deep inside. And, and, and if you've been around the church for a while, you may be tempted to kind of think that, 
you, you've got to hold it together. You, you can't let your guard down. You can't show weakness. You know, this is a place where everybody has faith, where everybody's good. You know, everybody's okay. Everybody's doing well because they follow Jesus. And so, and so we just crawl deeper into our hole or we stay away from church. We stay away from our Bible study group or our home group. We stay away from our Christian friends when, in fact, that's the time to be here, to be with them. Now, if you don't think that Christ's followers sometimes have doubts, just, just read the account, the resurrection account of Jesus' friends. And that's where we go this morning. I want to introduce you to Cleopas and his friend. Most biblical scholars suggest that it's Cleopas and his wife. We don't get to know the person's name, but we assume it's his wife. And we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now, this happens on the evening that Jesus is raised from the dead. So Easter Sunday evening. And that's why he starts off with that same day. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked about those things, Jesus himself came and walked with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, what are you talking about as you walk along? And they, they stood still. Their, their faces downcast. They were sad. One of them named Cleopas, he said to Jesus, are you the only person visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know? Don't you know the things that have happened here in the last few days? What things, Jesus said, about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet. He was powerful in what he said and did in the sight of God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death and they nailed him to a cross. But we'd hoped that he was going to be the one to set Israel free. Also, it's the third day since all of this happened. And some of our women amazed us too. Early this morning they went to the tomb, but they didn't find his body. So they came and told us what they'd seen. They saw angels who said Jesus was alive. And some of our friends went to the tomb and saw that it was empty, just as the woman had said. They didn't see Jesus' body there. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. How long it takes you to, how long it takes you to believe all that the prophets said. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then receive his glory? And Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in all of the scriptures. He began with Moses and the prophets. They were approaching the village where they were going. And Jesus kept walking as if he was going further, but they tried hard to keep him from leaving. And they said, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. He joined them at the table and he took some bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, he explained to us what the scriptures meant. Weren't we excited as he talked with us on the road? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven disciples and those with them. They were all gathered together. They were all saying, it's true. They were saying, it's true. The Lord has risen. He appeared to Simon. And then the two of them told what had happened to them on the way. And they told how they had recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. If, if, I, um, if I was doing the, the movie script for, for this story, the, the background mu music would be sad and dirgy, like a funeral. Because that's how these two were as they dragged themselves from Jerusalem, the 13 kilometers, back to Emmaus. 
in Afrikaans, we would say they kop onderste boe. You know, when someone walks like this? That's how they were. They were, they were done. They were more than just disappointed. I mean, they'd, they were miserable. Everything had, had not just gone badly. It's gone worstly. It's, and I know there's no such word, but that's how it was. It couldn't have been any worse. Jesus was dead. And as they walk, you probably find Mrs. Cleopas is just breaking into sobs every now and then. She just can't control herself. And Cleopas, he's just about to give up on God. He's like, after all the promises, after all the hopes, after all the expectation, this, this. And as they, as they drag their feet along the road, walking like teenagers, you know what I mean. Yeah. Teenagers don't lift their feet. They drag their feet. <laughs> they drag themselves back to Emmaus. Someone catches up from behind. Not very difficult because um, they're just going so slowly. And the stranger asks, as he, as he listens to their strange conversation, he says, why you look so sad? What's up? He's upbeat. What's going on? And Cleopas immediately comes straight back at him. You know, what planet have you been on? That you don't know what happened back in Jerusalem. Where, where have you been? What rock have you been hiding under? What's wrong with you? That you don't know what happened in Jerusalem. You don't know that Jesus was the one who claimed to be the Messiah. That Jesus was the one who said he was going to restore the kingdom of God. And then we saw him die. Where were you? W weren't you there when, when, when they flogged him and beat him, spat on him? Didn't you see? Didn't you see the crosses on, on the horizon of the hill? Where Jesus was crucified. And now, says Cleopas, what's made it even worse is some of the women have come with a stupid rumor that Jesus is alive. I mean, women, emotional creatures. I mean, who would believe them? We saw him die. Now remember, this isn't a week after where one or two people or three or four people have begun to see Jesus and meet with Jesus and he's appeared to them. This, this is on the evening. Jesus had, had only been resurrected that morning and, and it's really only Mary up to that point that had seen Jesus. And now they're walking back. You know, they're walking back to Emmaus. It's done. How do, you, how, do you believe, how do you believe that someone is alive when you saw them die? And so as they walk along, the, the stranger begins to, to open the scriptures, to explain the scriptures. And remember, for them, scriptures would have been um, Old Testament, the law, Genesis through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and, and some of the prophets and maybe some of the Psalms. And, and, and Jesus just draws the scriptures together and explains to them, reminds them that, uh, that the, the Messiah would have to die and, and that there was hope. But they're, they're just still caught up in this. They don't recognize Jesus. One of the things we, we know as we read further into the book of Acts, that, that Jesus' resurrected body must have been slightly different from his physical body. 
because often they just didn't recognize him straight away. And these two don't. Luke says God prevented them from seeing who he was, but they just didn't recognize him. And so eventually, the, you know, after, after an hour or two of walking, um, they get to Emmaus and, and Jesus makes like he's carrying on. And it's the sun's now beginning to set. And, and they say to him, friend, don't go further because this is a dangerous road. It's like the Malotto Road. You don't, you don't drive it at night. You just don't go there. This is a dangerous road. Something bad will happen if you carry on. And they plead with him to stay with them. And so, they, and so Jesus does. He, he goes into their home and, and, and there's no time to cook anything. So it's really just, just a simple bread, a simple meal of some bread and wine probably. And then Jesus, he acts a little weirdly, the stranger. He's a stranger and he doesn't wait for the owner of the house or the head of the house to, to say the blessing over the bread. Jesus takes the bread and says the thank you, the blessing over the food as he breaks the bread and gives it to them suddenly. Ah, it's Jesus. And as they recognize him, he's gone because this resurrected body also doesn't seem to be stuck in time and space as we know it. He, he's there and then he's somewhere else and he appears in a room behind locked and closed doors and then he's gone and so, so he doesn't seem to be bound by time and space but it's certainly Jesus because Cleopas probably says to her did you see did you did you did you see the marks in his hand it's him and I can just imagine these two looking at each other you know like in a movie we do look at each other and say we've got to go back we've got to go to Jerusalem and so they gulp down their food and, and rush out the door. And now suddenly they're not scared of the Malotto Road, this, this treacherous road, 13 kilometers, where there are bandits on the road all the time. And, and, they, and they run back, not dragging their feet anymore. They run back to Jerusalem. And they, and they say to the, the 11, because obviously Judas is there, they say to the 11 and the others who are with him, we've, we've met Jesus. He met us on the road. He, it was amazing. And we only recognized him when he broke the bread. But it was him. We saw his hands and... And, and, you know, they're all talking, they're both talking at the same time and shouting. And eventually Peter has to say, just stop, just one at a time. Just one, one of you speak. We saw him, we met him. It's him. We didn't recognize him, then we recognized him. And you can imagine the faces of the 11 of the others. By then, Peter was one of the other witnesses. So it's really just Mary. And some of the women, and now Peter, who have seen Jesus and Cleopas and his wife, they're like, what? He's alive? I want to suggest that there are some things that we, we can learn today about what do deal, how do we deal with, with our struggles, our belief struggles. They didn't recognize Jesus as they walked or dragged themselves along. They didn't recognize Jesus in their grief. It was just to much and sometimes our grief and our struggles are so heavy that we just can't see anything let alone that jesus is with us i understand that i've been in that ministry space where where grief is 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 often debilitating these two also didn't recognize jesus 
in the deep spiritual theological conversations Jesus taught them as he walked along, and even those words didn't change their experience or their fear or their sense of loss or their disbelief. Also, you know, they didn't, didn't recognize Jesus even in their acts of hospitality, of, of trying to invite the stranger to their home. They, they didn't recognize him even as, as he says, okay, I'll come and spend the night in your home. They don't recognize him. They only recognize Jesus when they were with him, and he did something familiar. They recognized Jesus when he did something familiar. He takes the bread, breaks it. It's probably the same way that he took five loaves and a couple of fish, broke it, blessed it, and and fed 5,000. We know they weren't at the Last Supper, these these two, so they wouldn't have remembered that. But there were other times that Jesus broke bread and fed people. And as, as he did it, the familiar just opened their eyes. Familiar is important. It's why even if you haven't prayed for years when there's a crisis, you may pray again. It's, it's why even if you haven't read the scriptures or the Bible for years, when you're desperate, you grab it or Google it again. Familiarity, even though you haven't been to church for years, maybe, or months, when there's a crisis, you come back to this place because familiar is important to us. Familiar is important. And that brings us to the second thing that I want us to, to learn, that just like last week, when Thomas was in Jesus' presence, he came to believe again. Sometimes when we're in Christ's presence, something happens. Although Jesus caught up to them, he, was, he had sought them out. Uh, and so being with Jesus because he sought them out is, is one way to recognize Jesus. But maybe coming back to church, coming back to your life group, um, spending time with other Christians, being here, is, is, is what we do to put ourselves in the presence of God and something happens. Going back to the familiar, and particularly the familiar that puts us in God's presence, he enables us to experience and to recognize Jesus again. Even though maybe our, our sorrow, our difficulties, the, the kind of theological kind of struggles that we have, even though, even though they may be too big for us to kind of really work through. Back to the familiar, back into the place where Jesus is, will help. And when you do those things, back to the familiar, back to those things that put you in God's presence or Jesus' presence, those things will help. But the last thing we learned is that, that we learned from these two, is that, is that you can't just stay there. Familiar is important. Being with Jesus is important. But these two, once they had recognized Jesus, they risked. They hoofed back to Jerusalem along that terrible, frightening, terrifying road. And they, did, they didn't drag their feet this time. They, they, you know, they weren't kind of just crawling along. They ran. They risked. 
They had to tell the others that they had met with Jesus. It was, this was not just good news. This was the best news ever. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. So all the things that he promised, maybe there's still some truth in them. Maybe there's still a future. And so it's important that we recognize that when, when we come back to the familiar, in the midst of our struggles, when we put ourselves in the place where Jesus is again, and maybe it's in a song we sing, a reading, a prayer, maybe a word that one of the preachers uses, maybe just being here. We recognize Jesus. Oh, he is alive. That we're willing to risk sharing that with others. And the reason I say a risk is that, is that we kind of feel... Oh, it, you know, how, how will people treat us? How will they kind of take what we say? That's the risk. Stepping out of our comfort zone, that's the risk. Exercising the little faith that we have, that's the risk. But the result is, 11 and a whole lot with them in the, upper, in, 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 in the room in Jerusalem, suddenly discovered that what the woman had been speaking of that morning and Tom and, and Peter had kind of said was true. Their faith was grown. Their faith was, was increased. They came to grow their faith. They came to belief again. They came to experience that Jesus could be with them. And a week later, of course, he just appears with them. So telling others, risking, risking our new faith, the fact that we've recognized Jesus will make a difference in the lives of others. So we need to recognize the importance of the familiar, the familiar rhythms of life, daily rhythms of, of maybe some prayer and readings and reading scripture, the weekly rhythms of being in a life group or Sunday worship. And, and it's important that we help our children to establish these same rhythms of being at Sunday school of daily scripture and reading. And now that Stacy's joining team that Friday night, being with other Christians, doing Christian things on a weekly basis is part of the rhythm because they will get to the point, our children will get to the point where they struggle. And when they do, they can go back to their familiar and find some faith and hope and recognize Jesus. We're part of a community or family and we need to risk sharing our lives with others, our experiences with others, because what we do will help them. So when you doubt or struggle to believe, know that you're not alone, that you're, you're in good company, the company of the early disciples, the followers of Jesus, and in the good company of many here who struggle from time to time too. So when you do, the familiar is important. Go back to the familiar. Be willing to recognize Jesus in your world. He met the woman at the tomb. He met Cleopas and his wife on the, ro on his, on the road. And at supper, he met the disciples behind locked doors. And he, he will meet with you as you do the familiar again. As you allow yourself to recognize Jesus. And as you risk sharing that with others, let us pray. Lord, thank you that in our 
struggles in our seasons of struggle or maybe even unbelief or disbelief. When we're willing to do those things that rekindle the familiar. When we place ourselves in those spaces where in the past we've experienced you, that you, like you did with Cleopas and his wife, you reveal yourself to us again. And so we open our lives, open our hearts to you today. And we sing the song as a prayer.